Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and you're here with us at Fearless Health Podcast. Today, I'm so excited. I have Miss Jessica Flanagan on, and she is the author of The Loving Diet. She helps individuals and practitioners identify those deep hurt beliefs in themselves and bring those to the surface. She has almost 25 years of clinical nutrition experience and 15 years of spiritual training. She's able to meet clients where they are in their journeys. This is essential as most clients find find her after they've struggled for years with complex health issues. She's seen, oh, then have seen a wide range of medical doctors, functional medicine practitioners, naturopaths, and others, and are still seeking answers. So thank you so much for being with us today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Anne-Marie. All right. So what brought you into um, writing The Loving Diet? Is suffering. It was my motivator. Uh, and so I was, had, uh, well, I'm a nutritionist, so I have a health practice, um, but I'm also a sister and I have an identical twin sister who was diagnosed with celiac and Hashimoto's and she naturally came to me and said, what should I do? Um, and this was just as the autoimmune paleo movement was getting going. So her and I both went on that, but I wrote the loving diet, um, in addition to those things, because my life was falling apart. And I thought I had been doing everything right. I was following the template of success, if you call it, um, of what society and religions tell you is, well, you will achieve success. Um, and uh, and, and I, my husband still cheated on me, left me. I lost my house. You know, I mean, I lost everything. Um, so I was, had to look at life in a new way. Um, and so I wrote The Loving Diet as an effort to help those who are suffering from chronic disease look at life in a different way and that um, there might be some benefit to their difficult experience and their suffering uh, like there was for me. So you leaned into that suffering and felt like you've, you got some resolve in writing that book? Yes. You know, resolving suffering is tricky because I don't think that I was any less upset, sad, you know, kind of destroyed in a way. Um, but what I did was I learned that I'm still okay and whole and worthy and my divinity is still intact regardless of whether something good or bad is happening to me. And that was kind of a light bulb moment, you know, where I just, I had set up my whole life to look like I was succeeding. Um, and then when it felt like I wasn't, I didn't know where to go or what to do or how to reframe it in a way that I, uh, in a way that I didn't think that I was failing at life. And so what I had to do was go in and just start looking at all the places inside of myself. I was, uh, the harshest critic of them all. And I had to be with my harshest critics. I had to go in and be for months, go in and be with the person that, um, thought that she wasn't worth a happy life. Um, and so I just, and, the, and by the way, this is sort of individual for each person. Um, every time we are catapulted into 
uh, suffering of any kind. It's always an individual blueprint of where it is that you can go and place your own loving and compassion and mercy for yourself. Um, and so what happened was, was that I just stopped fighting against the suffering. And that was when I started to not suffer. And you are clearly seeing the same thing in their, in your clients that come to see you that these, these people that come in have tried everything. They feel stuck. They feel defeated. They feel abandoned. They feel like everything's going wrong, I would assume. And they're struggling with autoimmunity. Is that your typical patient or client? Yes. So three things, autoimmunity, they're perfect performers and when they get to me and they're like, nothing else is working and I'm losing hope, I'm like, okay, good. Like now, now you're ready to let go of what you thought was the right way. And now we can start dismantling what stories you're telling yourself that you believe based on ways that you've protected your heart throughout your life. And so what I find is, is that almost um, in an odd way, the harder life has become, the more willing we're let, we are to let go of, this, of those things because people are exhausted. And they're also really tired of these templates of success, you know, and I mean, I have had people, this is a true story. I had a lady cry in an appointment because she didn't like bone broth and she thought that she couldn't do AIP unless she ate organ meat and bone broth. Like she would get kicked out or, you know, and, and so, um, <laughs> and so I told she her, wasn't I that perfect performer, right? She wanted to be a perfect performer. And then there's some people that do it like to a T, you know, and like they, they show you everything and you're like, wow, nothing I would improve here with your diet. Um, and so, you know, it kind of goes both ways of like the trepidation of, I want to do it right. I'm really motivated to heal. And then also the people who, I want to do it right. I'm really motivated to heal. And they have almost cut almost everything out of their life, which is in order to heal, I have to restrict. There's a huge belief system that's going along, which is a gift of autoimmune paleo. Autoimmune paleo is given so many gifts that uh, are causing us to take pause and look at, well, what does it really mean to heal? Do I need to suffer? Do I need to go without? Do I need to prove my strength and my courage to heal. Um, you know, and so those are some of the deeper things. Will God grant me a healing? Am I do, is my faith strong enough for God to grant me a healing? The, these are the things that I hear over and over again. And, and what does it look like to sit with those beliefs? I mean, those are inside someone all the time. That is incredibly painful but what does it look like as you start to unwind these belief systems that hold people back from the life that they desire and want? Well, first, it is so scary that it can feel like annihilation. And so these belief systems that we have, they're almost like energetic frequencies that sit out in our auric field, um, protect themselves, and they have a, they've kept us safe. They helped us survive. They've dug their heels in. And so when we start going and poking around into, did God forget about me when I got diagnosed with MS? Am I just doomed to be punished? We go start poking around. It is so unsettling. And usually that is the fear of it, but not the experience of it when people actually go in 
And what I also tell my clients is that your loving is stronger than what you've told yourself that's not true. And so that helps, you know, that they, they're like, and that everybody has the tools they need to do all of this work already because we all got born. So everybody who got born, who has a heart, has the materials and the tools and the framework to love the parts inside of themselves that hurt and have decided things that are not congruent with the evolution of their soul. And so when I tell people those two things, their loving is stronger than what they've told themselves or what they think about their life, they it starts to shake something inside of them. And then when we do it together and we you know, start doing baby steps and show them in a practical way how to be with themselves, the part that's hurting, then they realize that the part that was so afraid that they might go crazy, that their life might fall apart, that they're inviting disease to come in and get worse, those things uh, were not true. And so they feel relief. Yeah. And, and where do you see these painful beliefs as the origin? They're almost always from uh, ways that we have protected our heart from hurt. So any way a human needs to protect its heart from hurt, that's what I see in my practice. And sometimes now, so usually it's individual, like in people's lives, like getting fired from a job, feeling abandoned by their parents, um, you know, something like that. But uh, a lot of times it can, that's most of the time. Sometimes there can be like cultural elements, like women and their worth and, you know, uh, what, it, what does it mean for them to provide for their family? And so it can be sort of bigger cultural things, but a lot, a lot of the times that when I'm working with my clients, it's, uh, it's an individualized event, um, you know, all the colors of the rainbow. And interesting you bring up women because women are very affected with Hashimoto's, right? And they have, which is autoimmune thyroid. And what deep cultural beliefs do you see with women and autoimmune thyroid? What does it mean to have a voice? How do I use my power from an authentic place? How do I uh, sort through the ideas of what I deserve in my life? Um, how do I love all the places inside of myself? Those are the, a lot of the things that I see. How do I stand up in who I am? Beautiful. And, and I've seen, I see so much Hashimoto's in my practice. And these women I see just want to do it all. They don't know. They feel like a failure because they can't be a full-time mom and a full-time executive. They, they feel like they're dropping the ball somewhere. And when I watch them just try to keep it all together, it just seems so overwhelming. And they think something is wrong with them, which breaks my heart. I mean, there's only so many hours of, in a day and there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah. And so if we were working together and, you know, you were my Hashimoto's client, I would actually, we can even just do this right now. Let's like do it. Practice, you know, I'd say, Emery, oh, wow. Okay. So I just heard you say that I want to do it all. 
And so what is it that you've decided about yourself or decided about your life or your worth if you can't do it all? I think from what I see, okay, I'll just draw myself. I don't have kids just so you know. So this isn't, this isn't quite uh, totally authentic, but I would say what I feel if I drop the ball or can't do it all is that I'm a failure. Okay. Perfect. And so then I use self-forgiveness in my practice um, as the center point of all things. And so what I, would, what I do is walk my clients through self-forgiveness. And so I would say, okay, then um, let's repeat after me. I forgive myself for believing that I'm a failure if I can't do it all. I forgive myself for believing I'm a failure if I can't do it all. Okay. So take a deep breath. And then, Amory, what do you notice in your body when you say that? Well, when I say that, I feel relaxed because it lets yourself, you let yourself off the hook and, and feel like you do not have to perform to that level, which is honestly my struggle. Well done. <laughs> and it, it could also be, too, that people judge themselves about their beliefs, too. So not only do we carry around these frequencies of belief of, like, I have to do it all or else... Uh, I'm not worthy. I have to do it all. Or um, I'm a failure. I have to do it all. Or I'm never going to be successful. And so we, you know, you can start going in and looking at all the little tiny offshoots of that. But then the other part is, is that, and then I, oh, by the way, I judge myself on top of all of that. And so I work with uh, forgiving people for having people forgive themselves for judging themselves about it and then going in and doing the forgiveness about it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, when we are just doing that, it can sound a little bit hokey. Like, are you kidding? You can really just wipe out, you know, 40 years of this kind of programming in one sentence. When we do it from a place of self-compassion and intention, there isn't any place that loving can't go. And so what we're doing is I'm, I'm bearing witness to your loving for yourself and it, uh, it creates like a concentration. And so what I tell my clients is that that's the beauty of that. Everything is already, all the tools are already built into your heart. All you have to do is have the intention to be compassionate enough with yourself to feel that statement. And what it does is it dissolves the frequencies out in the auric field. And then the immune system responds differently and the cells respond differently because essentially what you're doing is, is these frequencies that sit out in the auric field become the lenses, how we look out to life. So the universe is not inflicting. It's built upon unconditional loving. So it can only support what you allow. So if you are allowing this belief and perpetuating this belief that if I can't do it all, I'm a failure, it can only meet you at if I don't do it all, I'm a failure. So what we do is when we, we work on these things from the place of loving ourselves enough to consider that we're going to give ourselves a break and let go of those ideas, then what it does is it actually changes how the universe can meet you. So then it can give you a life that includes, I don't have to do it all to be successful. So like, as I'm talking, what do you notice in your body as I'm even saying that? You know, this has been something I have personally worked on for a while, so I know it's there, but you know, that belief likes to rear its ugly head occasionally. And, um, I, when I feel like I don't have to do it all and 
everything will still be okay, then I feel so much better that I can trust. And I feel like I don't have to be the circus clown juggling all the balls, you know? So I, I feel so much better and so much more relief when I just take a second and get out of my head like you made me do. But I love to go back there. That's just my, my spot. Yeah. And so we would just say, you know, let, let's make better friends with the place that loves to go there. You know, let, let's not judge that part, that part that, you know, when things start getting difficult, they automatically go into, I know it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, for, this is just what I see a lot. And so then the other part then is, is like, uh, oh, what would it be like if you just made better friends with that part? You know, and so you change the conversation inside of yourself. And when you're making better friends, I mean, I feel, you know, it's interesting. I feel nervous when I lean in my, myself personally, but I had a patient, I think, say something that I think a lot of people think, which is if I lean into some of these feelings, I'm afraid I'm never going to stop crying. I'm afraid I'm never going to come out of that deep depression because what I've left behind in my life mm -hmm. is so painful. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I personally know that level of pain, but I felt like it was a profound statement for what she was walking around with. And it, and it broke my heart to just hear someone so fabulous and so vibrant walking around with those feelings and those belief systems. Yeah, that's a very common piece. When I started doing this work, mine was, I thought I would go crazy. Like I thought I would lose my mind. Um, and so what uh, I started to do was identify took baby steps and I started identifying with this notion that maybe my loving is stronger than that part that is so scared that it might get worse or I might be inviting the bad guys in or that my disease is going to get worse or that I might lose my mind. No, uh, I might lose control. Yeah. And what also the other part too, is we can't undo the growing of our hearts so even the, even thinking about it counts, you know, even if it, so anybody who's listening to this and they're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to ever touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> I would say too, it's like, even just make an allowance that your heart has the tools to do it. And whenever it feels right, you can start uh, working in that area. And, you know, there's no time limit here we're the only ones who've created that stopwatch. Speaking of the no time limit, how long do you see these belief systems take to unwind? Is this a, is this many year process? Is this overnight? I mean, what do you, what do you generally see, especially when there's been some substantial autoimmunity going on? It's really different for everybody. I've seen some people, uh, work on specific things that are, you know, sort of like big karmic things um, over and over and over again, because it'll just manifest from a different aspect, like worth is going to come through with their autoimmune disease, but the lesson of worth is also going to come through their relationship and their career, you know, and so you, you sort of work it from different angles. I have seen, however, though, um, this work is instantaneous because 
unconditional loving is not bound by space or time. Um, so it, it, it is what we would consider to be a miracle. You know, miracles are manifestations of living love. And so each time we do this work on behalf of ourselves, that it is, it is uh, bringing in the own manifestation of witnessing our own miracle. And so it's just a continual work, you know, like we're, we're kind of in bodies and being in bodies is really challenging. So we're going to keep getting sanded down so the jewel can be more precious. So we almost have to stop looking at it as like when it will be over, we can say, wow, my jewel is so precious. I'm ready to carve another facet. So it sparkles even more in the light. And like that to me feels better. Instead of I'm going to fix this, this is going to be, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to move on. I'm going to play tennis like I used to. That's my jam. What, right. It's just going to be instead of um, I'm going to really look inside and be different. Yeah. So let's take tennis, for example. Like let's say you have a client who is, they are losing the love of their life, which is tennis or sport or something. There's something else that's coming forward in this work, which is deep trust in full cooperation. And we, that is hard work because it is forcing us to completely trust what we have right now. It's asking us, can, can we completely cooperate with the circumstances in our life? And, and so we always hold, hold it, um, hold space for the things that we really love you know, like I really love cheese and I just don't do great with cheese, but I keep holding that thing of like, okay, I'm going to keep working through all these beliefs and I'm going to keep trying cheese. <laughs> this is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm, but I'm also going to uh, fully trust my life that if I can't eat cheese, then I will really um, soothe the part that is bummed that I can't get it. I love cheese too. I love cheese too. Doesn't do well for me either. <laughs> All of that acceptance, right? <laughs> but notice there, there's no pass fail. And so I've been really looking into the way that the prosperity gospel is infusing itself um, into that God rewards through faith um, and commitment. And, uh, and so like, it's not, I'm not a failure if I can't, if I don't do it. I'm not a fail, you know, and so I have to spend a lot of time with myself, you know, like the part that feels like she's not trying hard enough and let that all go because there's a ton of rules and restricted diets these days. It's almost like political movements, tribalism, you know, so I've been really looking at these things closely. They're fascinating to me. Yeah, it's interesting when a patient comes in and um, in our practice, we put people on an elimination diet for a month. That's it, like period. It's going to work or it's not going to work. We're not going to keep prolonging this thing. We're going to fix what needs to be fixed. And it's interesting to me what happens at the end of that month with certain patients. It's like, well, I don't want to eat anything. Well, I don't, I don't want to bring that back in. What if, what if I don't feel good? I need rules on what exactly I can eat now. Instead of trusting their intuition or trusting their body, 
that their body is going to tell them what's okay or what's not okay with them versus following the rules of here's exactly what AIP says. Here's exactly what I, I resonate with whatever diet it is. And it's interesting for me to see these instead of being like, well, you know, you can open your diet up a little bit more that may, we, we can see how you react. We'll have a pretty good idea, but people are scared to do that. Yeah, I'm starting a support group next week, how to make peace with your inner eater, because this is so such a big part of my practice. And I will say that um, autoimmune paleo is helping a lot of people work out issues around safety, because ultimately, the, that kind of restriction is built upon how do I keep my immune system safe? How do I keep myself safe so that I can put my disease in remission? And if we look at the real deep, deep part of it, and what it's doing is, is we can't actually ever find safety through our minds. Our minds help us find safety, but the only place we truly, truly find safety as humans is in our hearts. And so there's a lot of people right now experimenting with a diet called autoimmune paleo, and they are getting a fantastic lesson plan on how to find the safety inside of themselves. And so as soon as people start fearing food and fearing their intuition and questioning that, I was like, awesome. Like, let's, let's then look at those places of where you feel safe, where you don't feel safe, where the part that, we, you know, you need safety to look a specific kind of way. Is that a bigger problem? Is that a cultural problem, do you think? Because that, that seems pretty big when you don't feel safe. It's a huge problem. I mean, and so it's all coming out in our world the Me Too movement, women not feeling safe walking down the street. You know, politically, we're not feeling safe because there's such a polarization. We can even add climate change. People aren't feeling safe like we're going to have clean drinking water in the coming decades. It's not safe where I live because it might flood. And so it's this really deep stirring of the soil of, what, oh, we're, we're getting all of these things on the outside of us that look like challenges to our safety. And what's happening is, from my perspective, is that this unconditional loving of the growth of our soul is pushing on us so that we can, uh, we can rework how we feel safe, which is a heart experience. And so it might seem odd that I would connect all of that, but I, I, I absolutely do. I think a point that you have really driven home that I think is um, deeply intuitive and a completely different way to look at autoimmunity is we've got autoimmunity that's so prevalent today, but you're looking at this as not gloom and doom, but as this amazing opportunity to feel whole, to rise to a different level as society, and and that's why you feel like we're getting this huge rise in autoimmunity. It's not something that, oh, we're doing and, oh, this is terrible and all these chemicals and all these things that promote fear. Yeah. Well, we're going to change the chemicals if we know that it's causing us to get sick. Women are the biggest decision makers in their house. So you start getting a movement of women, things get done. But then the other part is, is that, yes, I believe in the depths of who I am that anything that happens to us, there's a gift for us there. And whether it's a tragedy or it is suffering or is a diagnosis of an illness, there's a gift there. And that the, there's a, a magnificent thing that's pushing up against 
us as we're all going through this kind of experience that we are. And scary as it is, right? Yeah, that we're, it is, it's not easy to uncover these gifts that we are getting, but that's what we're being asked to do. And like, to me, that means like there's meaning in my experience. There's me, people want to, I think people feel better knowing that it's never easy to get a diagnosis of any kind, cancer, autoimmunity, heart disease. But when they know that there is a toolkit that's inside of them right now, that can help them find meaning in their experience, then that's going to build wisdom, regardless of what the outcome is. Because, you know, we all have it all good and bad set, set up of like, oh, you know, you know, we want to cure someone of cancer. Of course we do. But then there's this other thing of like, did I fail if I'm still in a wheelchair and I have MS? And so those are the things too of, yep, it's, it is, uh, it is deep work we're being asked to do collectively as a humanity and in our humanity right now. And you know, what's so interesting is if you saw somebody with cancer or you saw somebody with MS from an outside person looking in, you'd never look at that person and be like, they failed. Shame on them. They failed. It, it would be, that's more of an internal internal concern, not, not coming from the outside, I would say. I mean, that's the pressure on ourselves. That's the deep hurt within ourselves, not anybody else. Well, I do agree with that. I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, there's a woman, I cannot remember her name right now, but she's a divinity professor at Duke University, and she actually um, taught the prosperity gospel. She has a blog, a blog and a podcast. She's written a couple of amazing books. She was diagnosed with incurable stage four colon cancer. And she is still here. Um, and she has written a book documenting um, that what it's been like for her. And she just had a tweet like a month ago that she was going in for a surgery. And she just said to the nurse that told me, that my diet probably is playing a role in my colon cancer. Um, I just want to thank you because it makes me appreciate the nurse who held my hand and said, you're going to be okay that much more. Like that makes me cry to think about how we can either have what's going on in the world, open our hearts or close our hearts. And we're the only ones that get to decide that. That's really a sad message for somebody that's suffering so badly to shame them. Yes. And it's happening outwardly. Um, but then it's also happening in these really subtle ways when people say they shame themselves because they don't feel like they're strong enough to do a one month elimination diet. They're not, they feel that, that they don't lack that strength. Cause they, you know, we want them to, and they might feel a lot better, but it's not a measure of their goodness in any way. And so we have now with the self-love and, um, you know, positive thinking movements, there's a lot of that that happens in a really subtle way. And so I kind of work in that category, you know, where the, my perfect performers um, in the autoimmune paleo movement of people who still hold shame that they couldn't do it the right way. And cancer or MS or, you know, the ALS, the, the, diagnosis that people get where they feel like their life is ending how 
challenging is that for you to work with? Well, you just said, like, so I follow what my clients say really closely. And so what you just said is, like, I got an ALS diagnosis and my life is ending. And so I would stick with that and, like, okay, why? What have you decided? You know, do you, and so, and again, that would be an individual thing. And so we'd start going and looking at um, the things that happen to us that are, are, per, are presenting us with gifts um, can help free us from our perception and our relationship to the suffering that we're experiencing. It might not mean that we stop suffering, but what we do is we start reworking the relationship that we have to our suffering and what we think that that means. You know, I've watched a, a handful of people really go through cancer and it's really painful to watch, you know, a family as their young son is diagnosed or, you know, my own personal mother passed away of cancer and it's so hard to make sense out of that suffering and watching the families go through those things and, and watching my mother actually personally go through that was very, very hard for me to watch. And sometimes I wish I could make sense out of, you know, maybe what she went through, but it's, I think pretty, pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, it was interesting right before she passed away, she really felt like emotions were a big trigger to getting her to where she was with this stage for ovarian cancer diagnosis. And, um, that was, a really important lesson for me 11 years ago to watch her be so profoundly convinced that that was one of the triggers. Yeah. And like you, so you thought that wait, you're like an emotion that she was having. That was one of the triggers or. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Emotionally was huge for her and a trigger, mm -hmm. which to me was just, very powerful to understand that that was what was going on inside of her and maybe the way that she had felt for many years. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then that's where we get this gift of, um, you know, uh, sometimes it feels like a nudge and sometimes it feels like a kick. And can we trust when life feels like it's kicking us to examine things? Because those are the parts, again, like we've talked about, they're going to start feeling like annihilation you know, that might take us out, that might end in a way that we don't want, you know, that might, that how, wait, how can I trust something that includes my mom not being with me for the rest of my life? How can I actually make sense of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you absolutely go through all those feelings and emotions. And I watch people as in here as they go through those. And it just, it just makes me ache for them because, you know, you know, when you've walked through something like that yeah. and you're doing this work because clearly it powerfully impacted your life on what you went through, um, it, it's the same thing. You just want to help people and take that pain away because you just don't want to see that suffering and you don't want to see them hurt. So, so I uh, train practitioners now. And so I've started the, um, the co-founder of the Institute of Spiritual Coaching and I take practitioners through a six-month training to help them develop these skills of compassion. So no matter what area they work in, you know, how do they be with their clients? And so it's like what you're talking about. And one of the things that I go over quite a bit is how do I, as a practitioner, how do I hold the container of unconditional loving? And what happens is, is that we have to throw out 
um, what we think should be the outcome for our clients and instead focus on what the highest good is for them. And it, it makes you feel like I've had, I have had so many challenges in this regard inside of myself because I want everybody to get better. And we know that we, none of us get to leave the planet. We all, you know, it all ends here. And so that's one of the things that I work on a lot with my practitioners is constant vigilance to um, letting go of uh, intended outcomes and focusing on the unconditional loving because a lot of times clients, um, patients are having a hard time understanding the meaning. And when we vibrationally hold unconditional loving, knowing that there's a gift and that they can find meaning um, and love them through their experience. What it does is it almost like a radio, it changes the frequency available to them. And so by us as practitioners holding the light in that, that, you know, that frequency for them, it makes it more of an available option to them to choose into that as well. And then it also lets the universe do its work to provide the, the good lesson plans for us as humans, we have to grapple with, sometimes it includes suffering. Sometimes people we love get taken away from us. Sometimes there's natural disasters, you know, so it's a lot. Um, but I feel like that is really where medicine is going, especially with everything that we're seeing coming up, um, you know, challenging us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, you cannot separate the emotions. They come out the emotions always come out in treatment. They always come out with autoimmune disease. And you know that there's, you know, a dietary component can certainly help. And in certain cases, it can definitely make or break the case, but it's definitely not the end all be all. And I would say it's becoming a smaller and smaller percentage as time goes on. You know, what I saw 10 years ago and maybe what I see today are totally different outcomes as it relates to diet and the nutrition protocols I feel like are totally different and maybe that's because I'm changing as a practitioner or maybe because I'm seeing harder cases or what it is I don't know but I definitely see a shift to the emotions I think people feel disconnected and I think it just you know it could be some of that I'm not sure or emotions are finally bubbling to the surface so yeah yeah well thank you so much anything else to add you know, we covered a lot. What a great interview. So much fun. I just always enjoy talking to you. Where can people find you if they um, want to get in touch with you? So my new website is jessicaflanagan.com. And my Instagram is The Loving Diet. And then if people want to just message me um, to my email, it's info at AIPlifestyle.com. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Emery. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.